And so this morning we're going to continue our series of messages that we've been doing through the season of Lent in the book of Luke. Uh, we've been looking at Jesus's journey to the cross, right? These last days before his crucifixion, he, he journeys to Jerusalem, but he took the long way there, right? He didn't rush there. He took the long way there. In the second half of the book of Luke, it shows us how Jesus chose to spend his last days before his death. And there's, there's something to that, right? There's something about what, what would Jesus choose to do when he knows his time is coming to an end? What did Jesus do in these last days? Right, where did he go? Rhetorical question. <laughs> he did. He did pray. Yeah. Yeah. But we're thinking, what did he do? We want to see that, right? What did he do? And we did talk about that a couple weeks ago. He prayed and he taught his disciples how to pray. Right? Where did he go? Who did he talk to? What did he say? Who did he eat with? And today, we're going to look at an account where Jesus gets invited to the house of a prominent religious leader. He observes some dynamics at dinner uh, that leave him with a lot to say. Right? And so he shares this story about God's invitation to his great banquet. And we're going to see three things as we walk through this passage, right? Jesus is going to call uh, his fellow d dinner guests to humility, right? And us to humility and generosity. And it's all because he himself is both humble and generous, right? God is humble and generous. So he's calling us to humility, to generosity, because God is humble and generous. And so we're going to look at humility over entitlement. We're going to look at generosity over reciprocity, and we're going to look at how God is both generous and humble. And so Jesus is having this Sabbath meal at the home of a Pharisee that's a prominent religious leader of his day, and he's being watched closely by them, uh, by this group called the Pharisees. Uh, at this meal, a sick man has already wandered in uh, and been healed by Jesus. And people would do that back then. They'd wander into homes. It was actually kind of normal that somebody might wander into a home during dinner. And that's what he did. Uh, and on the Sabbath, that's a controversial thing because these religious leaders, they've already been criticizing Jesus because he's been healing on the Sabbath. Right? See, you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. It was supposed to be a day of rest, a day to reflect on God's rest after creation and a day to trust him. Right? We can take a day off and, God's, and, and trust God's will to provide for us. Right? They, they saw Jesus' miracles as a form of work, so they criticized him. But he says this to them, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could find no answer to these things. But of course, they would take care of their own, Right? But is it worth breaking the Sabbath for a neighbor in need? Right? Then we see a shift that Jesus makes when he makes some observations about this dinner party. Right? They're watching him closely, but he's also watching them. And he's got a word for the guests. Chapter 14, verse 7. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. Right? Jesus tells a parable. And that's an illustration or a story that's intended to point to a deeper truth, right? There's more to the meaning of the story than just what's on the surface. And so Jesus noticed that these folks, they're gathering, they're taking the best seats for themselves. 
What are the best seats there? Right? Are they the most comfortable seats? Are they the ones that are closest to the food? No, the best and most honorable place to be at a meal there uh, in that place and time was next to the host. Right? The more honorable you were, the closer to the host you would sit. Well, at this party, everybody is estimating themselves as the most honorable person at the banquet. Right? They're trying to get the best seat for themselves. And this is normal, right? This is ambition. Right? Sometimes we even celebrate this, go out and, and get it kind of attitude, right? But here's what Jesus has to say, verse 8. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor, because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. Right? Imagine that. Someone more important than you might have been invited to this thing. And this makes me wonder where Jesus is sitting at this meal. What seat did Jesus have at this meal? What seat did they give him? They have God at the table with them. And they're all vying to cozy up with the host. right? Not realizing that God himself is sitting with them at this table. And if he's making this observation, where do you think Jesus chose to sit? He says to them, don't sit at the place of honor because someone more distinguished might be there. Verse 9, the one who invited both of you may come to you and say, give your seat to this man. And then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. Right? That would be humiliating, right? You sit next to someone thinking that you're their most honored guest and then they actually tap you on the shoulder and actually, can you... Can you get up and make room for this guy? And, and you got to shove down the table, right? Everyone's watching. And then since everyone has already sat down, the only place that's left at the table is the lowest place, the furthest from the action, the furthest from the host. Uh, back last summer, during like COVID restrictions, I was at Target on the 4th of July weekend here on Cape Cod. And if you've been around here long enough, you know how crazy of an idea that was. But I grabbed all my stuff. I saw a whole bunch of registers open. I walked right up, about to put myself, my stuff on the belt, right? And the cashier looked at me kind of funny. I was wondering why she's looking at me that way. And then she finally said, uh, the line is over there. Right, and she pointed behind me, and I saw a line that pretty much extended to the end of the store. Right, and, and bad on me for going there on Fourth of July, thinking that nobody's in line. Uh, she pointed behind me, pointed me to that long line, and there I was walking up, just like I was the only person there. Right, and everyone in the line is watching me. Some people were laughing. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's ever done that, but it was the back of the line for me, right? A walk of shame down to the back of the line. Um, actually, I had to be somewhere, so I had to plop my stuff down and, and leave. I didn't even get to get my stuff, but uh, I did come back hours later. The line was shorter, and all my stuff was still there, so good for me. Uh, that, was the only, that was only slightly embarrassing, though, right? Think about that. That's just a tiny version of what it would be like in this honor and shame culture like ancient Israel, and, and in such an intimate dinner, right, filled with people that you actually know from around town. Jesus is telling us that entitlement leads to humiliation. Right? Entitlement leads to humiliation. 
There's always going to be someone a little faster, a little stronger, a little smarter, a little closer than you. And if we walk in like that's not the case, we set ourselves up for a very embarrassing fall. Right? Jesus shows us another way. Verse 10, he says, But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And then he reveals the deeper spiritual truth that he's getting at. He says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Right? It feels better to accidentally go to the back of the line and then be ushered up to the front of the line, right? Instead of jumping in front of the line and having to walk 50 people to the back, right? Jesus says, choose the lowest place so that God can elevate you, right? Choose humility over entitlement because your humility may result in elevation, Humility yields honor. Entitlement yields humiliation. This is the way of Jesus, right? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In other places, he says, the first will be last, and the last will be first, Matthew twenty sixteen. Other places, we see that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. This is a theme with God, right? And it has to do with our approach to others. But first and foremost, it has to do with our approach to him, right? Don't forget that God in the flesh is sitting in the room with these folks. And there are people who are trying to get the prime seating before he, he even can, right? Where do you think Jesus sat? Right? Where do you sit today? Where's your heart? If you're not in a place of humility, then you're going to be closed off from God's invitation to the seat of honor because you don't believe you need it. Right? Humility can lead to elevation. But, but here's the slippery part of that. You can't be humble with the motivation of elevating yourself. Right? You can't be humble with the motivation of elevating yourself because then we will have just circled back to pride. See, we can do humble things. We can lower ourselves. We can give somebody the seat. We can get in the back of the line. But sometimes pride sneaks in and we feel like we're doing something really special, right? And we're feeling like maybe now we're owed something in return. Like, look how humble I've been. So when am I going to get what's coming to me? Right? Sounds like entitlement. Uh, Tim Keller, a now retired pastor and author from New York City, he clarifies this beautifully. He writes, The essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. Right? Not thinking more of myself or less of myself. Thinking of myself less. And sometimes we think humility is to constantly think less of ourselves. Right? When in fact, that's just the other side of the coin of pride. Right? But to think of ourselves less, to understand who God is and who we are before him, and to have a God-centered, others-focused mentality. Right? That's humility. 
Pride is a low estimation of God and a high estimation of self. Humility is knowing God and knowing ourselves, loving God and loving our neighbors, not as a means to earn something in return, right? There's no expectation of reciprocity here, right? That is, you don't expect anybody to pay you back for being humble. It's not a way to earn something. And Jesus is going to cover that as he shifts the conversation from teaching guests to teaching the host himself, right? He's pointed the guest to humility over entitlement, and he's going to call on the hosts to extend generosity to folks who could never pay them back. Let's look at these next few verses, starting in verse 12. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you'd be repaid. Right? There's something so sweet when you find those friends, you have them over for dinner, you just click with them, you invite them over, they invite you over, you live life together. It feels like it's not work to be around them, right? Family too, it's a beautiful thing when you can have a relationship with your family where you're actually in relationship. Again, sharing meals, enjoying good conversation, hosting Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, all that kind of thing. That's beautiful in and of itself. And Jesus is now telling us, for some reason, not to invite these people's, people to our dinners and our lunches. Right? So do we have to give all that up to follow Jesus? Right? What does he mean when he says, don't invite your friends or your brothers and sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors? Does he have a problem with these people? Right? See, besides the rich neighbors, these were people right, they would have, have, would have been doing life with already, right, all along. Right? Family back then, it extended even beyond what we experience today. A lot of them lived together. Right? They were bound to each other by duty. There was a general sense of communal living. That was just kind of the water they swam in. There was reciprocity among family members. Uh, and today there is too, but even back then it was just much more. It was much tighter, the family unit, and it extended beyond the nuclear family. And it goes the same for friends, right? It's refreshing to have a friend who reciprocates. It's healthy to have a reciprocal relationship, but it's, it's not a full representation of God's generosity because they might pay you back, and then you would be repaid, Jesus says. So does he mean never invite them? No. Right? He means don't always invite only them. On the contrary, he says in verse 13, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. But if we only hang out with folks that we get something from, right, then we've become insulated. My family is great, but it should be a foundation for inclusion of others, right? Not a closed system, insulated and inwardly focused. My good friends are vital, but secure friendships can overflow into hospitality instead of cliquish exclusivity. You can have both, right? But we often operate with a scarcity mentality, right? I have no energy for outsiders. I just, I want to be with my little group. It's easy to navigate. I can just be myself. There's no awkwardness. 
Jesus didn't come and leave us with scarcity, did he? He says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, John 10, 9. Jesus says, invite those who can't pay you back. Why? Because they can't repay, right? But God in his generosity will repay you at the resurrection of the righteous. Right? There's eternal treasure. Right? This is for the believer, for the Christian. Right? You can stay in your comfy groups and get your repayment now, or you can invite folks who can't pay you back, and God himself will repay you. Right? God is generous, so his people can be generous. Right? Does God owe you anything for loving your neighbors? No. But he's gracious. He's generous. And Jesus says you will be blessed because you'll be repaid at the resurrection. He's not saying that this is a way to earn eternal life. Right? We know from other places in the Bible that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We know it's free, right? apart from what we do. But there's a blessing here. When God raises the dead and weighs our actions and our kindness and the grace that we showed to others, we will be repaid by the Father. And I'll be honest, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Right? Jesus doesn't say what that looks like, but I trust Jesus that it's better. Right? I trust Jesus that it's better. It's better than my own comfort today. I trust him. It goes like this. God has been gracious to you. He has given all to you, right? The very life of Jesus. So you can be gracious to others. And then even on top of that, God will give you even more grace that he didn't need to give you for doing what you're already supposed to be doing. Right? In the Gospel of John, John writes that from Jesus' fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Right? So who's at your table? Right? Who do you have at your table? Whose table are you at? Right? You, know, you don't even have to be the host. Not everyone can be the host. Not everyone's in a season where they can be the host, but you can be a guest. Right? Jesus was a guest more than he was a host. Hospitality can be expressed simply through presence. Right? This is what we want our church to be marked by. You know, I've been asked uh, when I was planting this church, starting to plant this church, I went around, I met like every pastor I could meet, and one pastor asked me, he said, every church is kind of known for its thing, Right? He listed various churches that were known for their music or their homeless ministry or the various programs that they had. And then he said, what do you want your church to be known for? And I said, hospitality, right? The hospitality of God, relational generosity, invitation, presence, right? Gospel presence. Who's at your table? We want to be a church that treats neighbors like family, to build thriving communities of neighbors who love God and love one another. 
God gives grace upon grace through Jesus, and he calls us to choose generosity over reciprocity. He calls us to invite without expecting a return invitation. He calls us to give without expecting to receive anything back, but with the expectation and the hope of the resurrection and the repayment to come. God calls us to be generous because he is generous, to be humble because he is humble. Jesus says all this. Someone yells out at the table, blessed is the one who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. And someone just bursts out and yells this as he's sharing this. And, and instead of Jesus commending that person, it prompts him to tell another parable or, or another story that shows a picture of both of these attributes of God, generosity and humility, and how we often respond to that. Right? Jesus calls us to humility and generosity because God is humble and generous, and we see that in this story where he gives this illustration of God's invitation. Verse 16, then Jesus told them, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything's now ready. Now, a lot like today for weddings or big events, these folks would have been invited in advance, right? And now the servant is reminding everyone who's been invited that everything's ready. They can come. Right? It's a courtesy reminder for people who already said they were going to come to this banquet. And then what happens? He says, but without exception, they all began to make excuses. Right? They're changing their RSVP at the last minute. And, and their excuses are really bad. They're the equivalent of uh, what you might see in like an 80s TV show, or I don't know if people even still use this excuse when a girl says, I can't, I'm washing my hair. You know, that kind of excuse. Terrible excuses. I can't because I just bought a field, right? I can't go to dinner because I just bought a field. The other has to check on some oxen, right? They both ask to be excused. Another just got married and he says, he, he doesn't even ask to be excused. He just says, I just got married. Like, let that be enough, right? He just says, I'm out. Right? These are the first guests to be invited, right? A lot like the Israelites who are at the table with Jesus in this story, right? The promise of the Messiah came first to them. Uh, and if you read all of the book of Luke, you'll see he's arrived and he's been met with apathy, if not hostility, from his people, the ones he came to first. Right? There's always going to be an excuse to put off answering God's invitation. And often they're just as lame as the ones that we just heard. Right? I find it fascinating that even we Christians put the things of God last on our priority list. Right? This is a call from Scripture to assess our priorities. Right? We read an innumerable amount of words per day, scrolling social media, scrolling articles, whatever else, but we lack the time, the time to read God's word. Right? We talk all day, we write posts, we send texts, and somehow we lack the time or energy to pray to the God of the universe who has invited us to the seat of honor at his table. I include myself in that. 
Why is that? This passage tells us that being in relationship with God looks like making time for God, making time to be around his people, being around your neighbors, clearing your calendar for some time where you simply invite a neighbor into your space. Someone who might never invite you back, somebody different from you. And this can feel like work, right? It does. It feels like work. You're forced to think of yourself and yours less, right? You have to shift your focus from yourself to them. That takes energy. You have to get curious. You have to use relational muscles that have kind of turned to mush over the past two years, right? I, I get it. I've felt it. Right? The host has sent his servant to fetch these guests, and each one has something better to do. So verse 21, the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Right? The meal is made, right? and someone's going to eat it. So he invites people who no one else wants at their table, right? To the shame of the first invited guests. Verse 22, master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Go to the highways and the hedges. This is where criminals hung out, right? They would hide in the hedges on roads. Go to the highways and the hedges, right? The host wants his house to be filled, and he's inviting everyone and anyone to his honorable banquet. And something tells me this is the kind of banquet you don't want to miss. Right, that if they had truly understood the original invitees, right, if they had truly understood, they would not have declined to go to this banquet. God is generous. Right? And this is pointing to his generosity in seeking people for salvation. Right? God is actively pursuing us out to the highways and the hedges to invite people to his divine banquet. Right? The people who have placed all their hope in him right, and, and fear this life on this earth, they've responded, no. I mean, the people who have placed all their hope and fear in this life have said no. Right? The folks who are all too familiar with the reality that this world is broken, right? like the, the criminals in the bushes, those folks, they wear it on their outside and everyone can see it. They say yes. Right? But just to be clear, the others, right, those who were invited first, they're, they're just as broken as the people who were invited second. But they've covered their brokenness with fields. They've covered their brokenness with oxen, with marriages, with property, with wealth, with relationships. And in the end, they will lose it all. We all do. The host says, for I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. And what's the reason for that? Right? Not because the host is ungenerous, 
not because the host is exclusive, not because the host is unreasonable the way some people do paint God. It's by the choice of those who have rejected his invitation. Right? Why on earth should they enjoy the banquet if they've chosen not to attend? Right? God is a generous host. And it's not just his generosity that's on display in this, in this parable. It's also his humility. See, because there's a picture of Jesus here too, not just in the host, but the servant, right? Going out and inviting everybody to the table. Jesus, God the Son, entered human history, carrying out the will of the Father to herald to Israel that the Messiah had come, right? The banquet was ready, and he was rejected by the hypocritical religious establishment. Why? Because he humiliated the proud, right? His very presence unseated them from the seat of honor that they took for themselves, so they killed him. And if you watch him in the book of Luke, you'll see that he is constantly elevating the poor. He's healing the blind. He's elevating the disabled. He's bringing in the outcasts. And this was just his way. And it's still his way. Even down to his last breath when he was on the cross, he was between two criminals. One mocked him. And, verse, uh, one, and the Bible says, but one other answered, rebuking that one, saying, don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We're punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And here's what Jesus said to him in the very last moments of his life. Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Down to his last breath, Jesus was the servant, inviting criminals to the seat of honor at the Father's banquet. Right? Be generous because God the Father has been generous to you. He sent the Son to die for your sin, and in raising him from the dead, he holds out the greatest gift of resurrection to you. Be humble because God the Son humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you could take his seat of honor at the table of God. Right? May the Spirit of the living God give you eyes to see the glory of the banquet that you have been invited to. Whether you're a believer or not, right? If you're a believer, you have this to look forward to. You have this encouragement and you have this to fill you so that you can go out and fill others. If you have yet to believe in Jesus, just know that you have been invited. Right? And you don't want to miss it. It's happening with or without you. You are invited. How will you respond to Jesus' invitation?